Welcome one and all to the next round of the Mere Mortals podcast. We're up to episode 19 now. We're 19. going to be talking about existential risk. Not existential crisis, no. as I originally believed, existential yep. risk. Karen, have me on that. how are you, sir? I'm good. Good to I'm see good. you again. Yep. You wanted to talk about something before we start? Just before we start, I have just recently started using our Twitter handle of Mere Mortals Media nice. on Twitter. And a couple of the posts that I've been doing... A couple of people have been noticing and commenting back to us that they would think that a podcast centered around failures and the learnings behind that, as long as long as uh, as well as successes, is a great topic. And I want to, I guess, be clear: we do talk about that mm. quite a lot. Yeah. Not always the case, however. I guess in comparison to topics that we've talked about, like books, like what's another one, nutrition. I guess we talked a little bit about failures there. Yeah. Not all the time. I'm going to be talking about specifically failures we're going to be talking about things that also interest us that we have some yeah, idea sure. around but we'll try and bring personal experience and things that we've seen fail or that we've been successful at and where those learnings have sort of come from yeah so. definitely definitely before we get into it as always mere mortal moment of the week yep i got mine oh hit uh, me up tell me well this one is a almost failure uh, so well, it, sorry, sorry 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 oh yeah who's who's our sponsor today the gals. Cheers. Cheers, gals. Um, so what happened was I, I was talking with my dad and I've I've been noticing recently, especially this past month, uh, since Andre has been gone, I've, I've just been doing less stuff. Like mm-hmm. I guess I've been getting more into my routine and a lot of my pursuits are solitary. So learning Spanish, reading, uh, exercising, stretching, those are all pretty solitary pursuits. Yep. And so I'd been noticing without her here sort of prompting um, – and naturally just having that more social atmosphere, mm. I was sort of secluding myself a lot more. So I said, um, and I wanted to make an effort. I was like, all right, I'm, I want to spend more time with my family. Yep. So I was having a chat with my dad and I was saying this to him as well. And it was like, look, I, I think we should do some more stuff together. Let's mm. go out and do things, blah, 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 blah. And we talked about it for a bit and we're like, yep, yep, that's cool. Let's organize something for this weekend. Yep. And the very next day, uh, just sort of offhand, it was a super hot day and mum just casually mentioned, oh, we should go to the Springwood pool and go for a swim or something. Mm. And I just like almost closed down because I was like, no, I've got all these plans in the afternoon. I don't know if I can fit in the time, blah, yep. blah, blah. So like the opportunity presented itself straight away yeah. and it took me, you know, a couple of minutes to see like, wait, what are you doing? You that was something that you're looking to do, yeah. Less than 24 hours earlier had talked about how you want to make more time mm. and here you are making excuses for not doing it. So yep. uh, that was one of those ones where, I mean, I'm glad I talked with my dad because I think that Prompted allowed me fact, to, yeah. to catch myself. Mm-hmm. But also, even with that very recent, it's still like, I don't know, I almost missed the opportunity to, yeah. to have that family time. Um, oh, so. Always good to highlight it though, right? Yeah. And, and perhaps if you hadn't mentioned that or talked about it earlier, you wouldn't have. So good that you picked it up though. I think mine was, I guess, summary... Uh, if it matters, you will do it. Uh, so last week, I've been traveling down for a bit of work down in Sydney, Parramatta, an hour west of Sydney. Uh, mm-hmm. For those who don't know where the area is. I don't, so. Essentially 40, 49 minutes on Uber from the airport. It's okay. fairly yeah. far away. It's a little bit of its own hub. It's got plenty of buildings. There's huge buildings going up on there. I've stayed at a hotel, I think, that had 30 stories. So Yeah, that's big. Fairly big. And, you know, I had a tiny little gym with a bit of a rower, there was a couple of swimming pools. There was areas to run, but there was more than one occasion where I woke up and I thought, 
Like, you know, it's yeah. not even a good gym. I'm not going to get a proper workout. Yeah. Um, but I managed to stay on track. You know, if good. it's important, you'll do it. And I, every single day I trained, whether it was obviously not the same thing that I would be equating to here. Yeah. yeah it was still yeah. something to kept me going, kept my heart rate up. So that, that, that was, um, like it's a positive and I kept that yeah. at bay. Yeah, it's easy to, especially when you've got like a change in routine like that and you know the session is not, you, you're not going to have the right equipment to do what you want to be doing mm. and you can make excuses for Ido or what's the point of doing this? Like it's almost no point, but if you still put in the effort, you can, even if it's just a tiny little increment of a, um, of a gain, mm. uh, it still makes a, a big difference, I guess, you oh, know, 100%. a year, two years down the road. Now, Existential risk. When you mentioned this particular topic, I was overjoyed. And the reason I was is, (laughs) and I tried to find this book and I didn't have it. I think I might have tossed it out, but I read it three or four times now that we talk about our book podcast. Yeah. It was a book that I had six or seven years ago and it was 50 Ways the World Would End. Okay. And (laughs) it went through... All the variations it, uh, around... Was it like in a joking way or... No, a, no, it was in a proper... Like a and book, yeah. what I liked about it is that each uh, existential risk that it talked about, it went into specific detail as to how it would happen, what would happen. Okay, um, yeah. So let's kick it straight off just to give you nice. an idea of what it talked about. So one of them uh, talked about a media hit as yeah. an existential risk. And it talked about if a media the size of... Uh, it wasn't the moon, like the size of Europe, I think it was, hit the English channel, it would instantly boil all the water uh, instantaneously and it would raise the temperature of the earth by, I think it was like 10, 12 degrees instantly on the hit and kill everything within a couple of million kilometers. How how big a media? Uh, Europe. Wait, so a a media the size of Europe? Yeah, exactly. Like like a, not obviously volume wise, but just like in that sort of width sort of media hit. It's obviously huge, massive. Yeah, yeah. But that's yeah, so the that, sort of thing that would literally, you know, push the whole earth. Yeah. yeah so there was a lot yeah. of things in that book. So I can still recall quite a lot of them, but I've made a couple of notes. But as always, I reckon we get started on a bit of a definition if you've got one. Wait, wait. I think, <laughs> I think the moon is about the size of Australia. So is it? That would be about like Ooh. the moon hitting. <laughs> so no, the moon's bigger than. Oh no, actually, no, it, it might be. I'm pretty be. sure the the um. The shadow of it, like... I'm, it's about Australia size. Yeah. Well, it would be tough if the moon hit so. us. So, <laughs> all right, let's get started. Give me a definition if you go on. Yeah. Okay, so for risk, it was pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Just exposure to de- danger, harm, and loss. Mm-hmm. And then existential. Uh, I sort of found two things. One was uh, relating to uh, existence. Um, and, I like, I guess that's just talking about relating to being alive. Mm. So if you combine those two together, it'd be, I guess, like, the exposure of, of being alive and the dangers, the loss, the harms that could come from that. Yeah. Uh, but it also had a, a sort of unrelated to our topic right now, but mm-hmm. would be cool to get into sometime was um, the philosophy uh, of Kierkegaard, Nietzsche and Sartre, or to name a few, that emphasizes the individual as a free agent responsible for his ac- actions. Dang, so, that is too early in the morning for me yeah, to be hearing these yeah. words. So that's um, uh, when you've got that existential angst. Mm. That's, I guess, the what they're more referring to there, which is uh, how you was like the the angst, the nervousness, the the pressure that comes from being a free mm. individual in control of your actions. Yeah. So okay. that's so that that's why when when I first said existential risk, you mm. thought of the existential crisis, yep. which is 
I guess, the other side of this. Yeah. But mm. when it's complied uh, with risk, mm-hmm. it talks about, yeah, I guess the, the prospect of humanity being wiped out or severely wiped out, also yeah. known as global catastrophic risk, according to Wikipedia. Oh, Wikipedia. <laughs> Serving as well as mere mortals. I've got a bit of a definition for the, the whole piece. So it's any risk that has the potential to eliminate all of humanity or at the very least kill large swathes of global population, leaving the survivors without sufficient means to rebuild society to current standards of living. Yep. So, yeah, it is a something that's huge, catastrophic, global impact. Yeah. How we want to get about this, I had a bit of a think about, you know, are we going to go down the path of talking about things and rating them or... I was going to go straight through how many different options. I thought maybe we can kind of go back and forth on different aspects that we think are going to be existential risks that we see yep. and how likely we should really be worried about them. And then yep. we can probably give a bit of uh, explanation. But I have this that I actually picked up because I, obviously it's existential risk is also depending on the knowledge of the time and where you are in time itself. Because in the 1900s, you wouldn't necessarily think that potentially the biggest existential risk would be a meteor impact, although perhaps it would be. One of the pieces I was uh, reading was that during the early years of trains, most people actually thought that the human body couldn't handle traveling at more than 30 miles an hour and Uh, thought that that was an existential risk. (laughs) So they thought if you were to move in a train at a certain speed, everyone was just going to (laughs) die. So I thought like, wow, okay. Yeah. The other one was uh, the uh, the first sort of phones as well. A lot of people were uh, hesitant with electric shocks and they also categorized it as an existential risk. And yeah. that was 40 years ago. Uh, same thing was said about planes, uh, heart attacks and Y2K. Yeah. So I think depending on the time, obviously to us now, like, that, you know, traveling at more than 30 miles per hour or you know, 50 k's an hour. Yeah. That doesn't sound like an existential risk at all. That's a normal jog for me. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, Usain Bolt, I think, is 42Ks an hour for the world record, but you're you're hitting 50Ks easy. Yeah, that's just a (laughs) warm-up. So, but I thought, okay, so just to give that context, like that's what it is in in terms of time. Yeah. I've got a couple that I've listed, you know, with some information. I think we can talk about it. And then, you know, I guess we could probably discuss how likely is that people should be worried about it based on that. So, first off the list that I've got, nuclear war. And I think it's probably the most common one that if people think about existential risk. Yeah. yeah. Really, it's, you know, uh, a global war that could occur. And I mean, right now, if something was to occur between um, US, Russia, Iran, or something like that, and proper sort of nuclear war was to take place, mm. um, it wouldn't so much be, and I think sort of reading about it, it's not so much that the, the threat is that the bombs get dropped and it kills a lot of people. It's the subsequent destruction of climate yeah, uh, the, impact the climate weather and then the, the resulting sort of food of that radiation as well yeah covering huge areas yeah. Yeah. for you does that seem like a risk at all really a, a realistic, realistic piece yeah well i was i was looking at that a lot because uh, i'd heard recently the um have, have you heard of the everyone's heard of the doomsday clock mm-hmm. i suppose which is very famous um creation by and i looked this up it was the bulletin of atomic scientists i believe and they essentially created this this graphic to to show how they felt the um, how how danger the world was in, how much mm. danger the world was in with regard to this. Uh, and they don't really have like a criteria from what I could tell. Like there's no like scientific 
mm-hmm. definition of why they are saying this is like the most dangerous time or it's less dangerous time. Yeah, okay. And it's sort of them just, and it's just a bunch of, it was from a magazine. So it's not like <laughs> even a real scientific, I get, like it was a scientific magazine. Yeah. But I think there was a lot of subjective opinion mm-hmm. uh, thrown in that. So right now we're actually at the closest to um, catastrophic nuclear war that we've ever been. Okay. Uh, 120, sorry, it was. It used to be two minutes mm-hmm. and then I think they changed it to 100 seconds to um, nuclear war. Wow. And, and that was like a recent thing. It, it happened only, I think, like this past year or something. Okay, yeah. Uh, and for me, that, that seems just a, a bit silly if you compare it to the Cuban Missile Crisis, for example, when mm. they you literally had, like, the two big superpowers standing off against each other, well, fingers on the me, button, like, Correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously I think you've read a lot more into this than I have. They were, I'm pretty sure they were on the second level below, sorry, the US was at the second level below absolute highest level of security or something, yeah, which... Yeah. I think if they had reached the top level, it's uh, it's an instant anybody has access to essentially shoot and uh, fire nuclear weapons, something like that. Yeah, yeah, that was, it, yeah, that book I read mm. um, by Eric Schlosser, it, it was scary just in seeing like the, the safeguards they had in place. Mm. Uh, I think I talked about this once where a bomb dropped and like four of the safeguards uh, were deactivated mm-hmm. and it was literally just a switch that if someone had pressed it yeah. uh, the the bomb could so it's, go a, it's, a, it's a very it's, a, it's an actual risk that could happen yeah you know, um, quite accidentally for me in my very unsci- unscientific opinion yeah just going based on how it used to be mm. obviously it's still a risk with you know countries being a, a lot more i guess having the more bombs and and whatnot mm. uh, although i think they've if if you doing it based on i guess more uh, objective measures mm. there's less bombs now than there there used to be uh correct yeah the the tensions aren't as high and as peaked where you had average citizens fearing for their lives that there's going to be war between russia and and america mm. I, i'd say it's a lot lower than it used to be and with these things it's like probability as well and that's really getting into that stage where it's like just because something happened and yeah. there was a risk of it not happening. Well, let's let's just put it at, would you see it as a risk, as a yes or a no? Like, I, if I, like do you worry about it now? No, but I, I would say there's other things to worry about, more important things. Like if we had to put like a scale of, yeah, yeah. of what and I think, and I think about, that's what we can do. So I'd like, put it I, maybe around the middle. Okay, cool. So I, and I would the same. I don't think it's a thing that I every day think about going, oh man, you know, I, I, I don't want to see the mushroom cloud coming over the top. I think mm. it might be an issue when I hear global political things happening, uh, but I also don't particularly think it's a, a massive risk that everybody should be worrying about right now. Yeah. So, yeah. But it is a, a very... Um, one, they, they, someone reading a piece, they sort of talked about it, that it's, a prim, it's the primary near-term technological existential risk that they, they thought um, a nuclear sort of uh, war yeah. could occur. Interesting. You give, me, you give me one of yours now? Okay. Okay. Uh, Let's get into hostile AI. Ooh, yep. Yeah. Okay. So some people, got... some people get uh, quite worried about this. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. If, if you listen to... Elon Musk. Elon Musk, Sam, Sam Harris. Harris. Um, you might be, you know, under, understandably scared. Yeah. scared because they see it as something that's going to be quite detrimental to the world. Yeah. And look, I'd, I'd wanted to your take on it. I guess explain first 
how that's an existential risk yeah. I guess, based on their point of view. Yeah, what? so I get there's quite a few ways I think they they worry about it. Mm. Um, I suppose their main one is the the people who are creating the AI. There's a there's like almost a race because whoever gets like the first generally intelligent AI mm-hmm. is basically going to have an unlimited labor workforce. So all those people working on computers now for Microsoft or whatever, instantly, if mm-hmm. you have a general AI all of them are just going to be erased. So you're saving. Labor is like one of the most expensive sources of yep. your um, operating costs. Mm-hmm. So the first person who gets that basically wins the game. And I think what they worry about is as soon as that happens, like one, there's an incentive right now to do it as fast as you can. So mm-hmm. you're not going to do it as safe as you can. Similar, I guess, to the the nuclear um, arms race. Mm-hmm. America were desperately trying to get this thing done and you know there was times where they were unsure if they set off a bomb if it was going to ignite the atmosphere and they're like oh do some calculations oh it's probably not going to happen yeah that's maybe not the best way of going about it (laughs) so I think they worry about that and they worry about as soon as it gets generally intelligent Mm. it's going to have access to the whole web so it's going to become super intelligent and I guess just the fact that we've already got algorithms and stuff that do things that it can justify to itself and it works but Mm. can't explain to us sort of creates this like hidden space where it's doing stuff and we don't know how it's doing it or why it's doing it Mm. and with all that combined i suppose it they're, they're worried the incentives of it could make it do things that we don't want it to do and it's it'll do them even if we ask them not to yep um and that's where the the classic the unlimited paperclip thing. So if you mm-hmm. make a AI to make as many paperclips as it can, it'll eventually figure like, oh, the best way to do this is to turn the whole universe, every atom, turn it into a paperclip. Yeah. And yeah, for me personally, um, it's it's just too far off at the moment to worry so. about it. And yeah, it's hard because it's like something like that could become rapid very rapidly um, yeah. a, a source of worry one of the interesting I've, I've, I listened to something very similar to, around this where they talked about people think it's an existential risk around you know an artificial intelligence is going to go past that uh, the Turing point yeah, yeah the Turing point yeah where you know it's the general intelligence is now of a human and then it starts going beyond and the existential risk that sort of gets talked about is well once they're smarter than us or once they can compute better than us or whatever you want to sort of term it Will they have a need for us? Yeah. Similar to how we maybe look after dogs or other sort of lower form intelligence that compared to us. Yeah. And one of the, this guy was sort of talking about it and he said that the existential risk there, it's not so much that the, like, you know, an AI overlord is all of a sudden want to kill you because you're useless or whatever. And I think he he changed the mentality to like, okay, well, why do humans think that that's going to happen? And it sort of brought it back to the root as well it's probably because we're doing things to the planet or we're doing things to X, Y, Z that we ourselves don't think is right that we should be doing. Yeah. And so that's why we extrapolate it and say, well, an AI will see that and go, well, these humans are just destroying the earth. Let's just get rid of them. Yeah. And he kind of put it, it was like, well, if we didn't do that and we kind of look after it and whatever, then why would an AI need need to necessitate to get rid of us? Yeah. So he kind of spun it in that way, which is, I guess, I guess we potentially move that risk that we're putting towards, you know, things like climate change and other things as upon to 
an AI that's going to come over and, and, you know, take it over. Yeah. One of the risks, though, that I do see, I think it's completely true and it's already happening, but it's going to become much more prevalent in you know, 10, 20 years, is that jobs will just go away. Yeah. Um, things like lawyers and accountants, I will bet bottom dollar that that, will, that that profession just will not exist in about 50 years. Yeah. It'll exist in a very different way. Yeah, because it's you know it's it's knowledge based and it's procedural to the point that things like artificial intelligence are going to take it away. So I think it creates a risk to professions where it can create um, you know life threatening risks. And there's another one that I was reading about was the potential, say, in China. There were talks about this where if you have artificial intelligence that all of a sudden can do the job that a hundred thousand people were doing, and from an economical perspective, humans might think that oh well we've got a billion people if we actually had half a million half a billion it's actually going to be economically better we're going to look after the earth better we have more resources for everybody mm. and we still got the same jobs getting done there could come a point where you have an individual at you know senior power that goes actually one of the things we could do is just eradicate half the population here and we still be living the same sort of life with better resources and that's one thing i was reading i was like oh well it's not obviously it would take someone to get to that point but that is a risk to a large swathe of humanity for that to sort of happen. Um, I thought that was a little bit extreme as well. I was like, oh, yeah. that's pretty extreme. But that is something that's going to happen with a lot of jobs being taken over. And even while you can move value, you know, value up the chain. And what I mean by that is if you've got a, uh, imagine nurses, there could come a point in 50 years time where a lot of that's done by robots. It's done by, you know, um, artificial intelligence through um, NPLs, uh, natural processing languages in like machines itself or through the computers or like, you know, over Skype or whatever. Yeah. But then the nurses are going to have to start, you know, potentially doing other things, which is just purely like the human interaction connection um, pieces of points. Now, if it gets to the point that artificial intelligence can do that as well yeah. and you can do it better, which they've, they've got robots which are being built to that point where they can uh, tell emotion by face and by sentiment and everything like that. Yeah. Then it starts getting tricky because it's then what's the benefit of having a human in that interaction? Um, and then there can be a, a massive risk in, you know, sways of jobs and what people will end up doing. And I think that's where the discussion comes into where universal uh, salary, I think it basic is. Basic income. Yeah, basic income. Um, but I guess that's not so much a risk. But I think it's, you can create risks, but perhaps not in the way of, you know, destroying humanity as we know it yeah, or like yeah. abolishing humanity. I think we should probably, I suppose, dial down a little bit on what exactly we're going to talk about. I think for for existential risk, we should be talking about something that will like kill us essentially. Yeah. And so for me, I think the AI is even lower than nuclear war for me. It's not a, an issue that I see taking place. And yeah, yeah. I, I understand the way that Sam Harris and some of the other guys talk about it. And obviously they know full well they're in silicon valley they're in la they, they know we're like at the heart of some of these changes yeah i just don't think it's an existential risk yeah yeah it's a risk yes existential yeah and that, and really. that's i suppose what we're talking about you're you're listing some like second or third order mm. i guess effects of what ai could do but them taking over an accounting job or a lawyer's job isn't going to kill us no. it'll be the social unrest, the, yep. I guess, you know, you were talking about one person deciding, oh, we'll eliminate mm. half of humanity. The The risk then is not... His name is, is not that, <laughs> The risk is not the AI. The mm. risk is the person having the 
like how would they do it i guess like a mass murder machine so yeah i would be i'd be thinking more along the lines of there's no there's no point really thinking about ai as being the ones to kill us unless they're literally doing terminator style going after and, yeah. and murdering us i just don't see it, that it would being be more case. Uh, you know, the existential risk would be someone having so much power mm. that they institute a like Nazi like regime, a regime of, on it. of systematic killing. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So similar, similar for you, sort of thing. not really existential risk to you. Yeah, and and if so, it's 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 too far away to be thinking about it right now. Okay. Now here's here's uh, I got another one now from yep. my side. Hit me. And I think these are starting to be now, I think proper ones. Climate change. Okay. Interesting. Now, first of all, climate change from my perspective, so it's a growing concern, which is around the people and the you know governments and everyone sort of addressing uh, through the environment. And I think it's obviously scaled up over the last couple of years. Things that have been happening recently, like the fires in Australia, like all the glaciers that have been melting. I know friends who've gone to Canada recently. Uh, the glaciers gone, you know, melted meters, hundreds of meters to where it used to be yep. uh, a couple of years ago. All that sort of stuff. Now. What do you? What would you say in terms of an existential risk in that in that context? And there was actually an Australian climate change report last year, um, written by David Spratt from the National Centre for Climate Restoration in Melbourne, and they sort of noted that human civilization faces existential risk by twenty fifty. Okay. To do with climate change, I've I've got some not superset opinions on this, mm. but some I guess. Mm. A bit more nuanced than than what you would hear um, on the let's hear it let's hear it the protesters and whatnot. I think there's absolutely no doubt that us putting all the carbon into the atmosphere and pollution and stuff like that is heating up the earth. Yep. Think, like there can be no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. What I take issue with is the projections. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I read this book called Chaos Theory uh, a long yeah, long time yep. ago. Written by or yeah, can't can't remember yep. that. Um, and it just talked about how bad we are at modeling outcomes. Mm. And so this guy created like this tiny little weather system thing and maybe like five or six inputs and he would try and, and model the weather for, I think it was like 50 years or something. And he would put in these inputs, starting points, positions, yep. and, um, he'd just let it run, do the simulation and it would run, you know, 50 years and mm. I don't know, a couple of hours time. And one day he did this and then he was like, oh, or oh, something weird happened there. I want to redo it. And so he put the starting inputs back at the same thing. Yep. But he only put it to the sixth decimal place for um, the starting inputs where I think it had like maybe seven or eight. Yep. And what he found was in 50 years time that it did not match at all. Like these tiny, and as the, the butterfly effect, mm-hmm. you know, butterfly flapping its wings in Africa causes a hurricane yep. in America. With these tiny little changes, it's just very, very hard to predict what exactly is going to happen. Mm. And I think if you go back, you know, even just 50 years time and, and look at the progression of the, the predictions, they've just been so, so bad. Like, mm. you know, there was, they were worried that uh, by 2020 now we'd be meters underwater compared to where we were say 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't have that, that stuff on me right now, but if you, if you go through it, you can see like just the, the predictions yeah, aren't yeah. accurate. Mm. Uh, so I take real, um, yeah. When I hear 2050, like alarm bells in my re- head just ring like, oh, okay. How, 
How are you going about that? The second is we should be in an ice age coming up soon. Mm. And if, if we had to choose between like the world heating up and the world going into an ice age, I would definitely pick the, the heating up stage. Ooh, so, okay. How come? Um, I, I think that just the, the amount of energy that we're using to, to get crops and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, yes, we'd have, I guess, more land in an ice age because it shrinks up. And so the land, uh, the water, like the oceans fall and they're all captured in the, um, the ice, but I just don't know how many plants can, mm. can actually breed when it's, you know, zero degrees across yeah, like the constantly. whole planet. Um, and so I, I don't know. I just, I just have this weird feeling that just because the, the weather was, you know, two degrees warmer, uh, cooler, cooler, uh, uh, you know, 50, hundred years ago, mm. I'm just not that sure that it's going to cause like these massive issues that everyone's talking about. Yeah. I, I would have thought, you know, potentially it's even a good thing. Yes, sea levels may rise and mm. that would be a big issue because most of us live very close to the ocean. Yeah. But it, it just seems to me like there's a whole lot of effort and energy being put to try and keep something exactly where it is. Mm. Whereas I don't think the climate, if we, maybe if we had, you know, a thousand years of data, maybe we'd be looking at this and being like, okay, the, it can't stay the same the whole time. Yeah, yeah. So we're just putting a lot of energy and effort and thought into, um, I guess the the climate change is a and it, a big issue, mm. and I'm just not sure how that's really going to affect us in the next fifty years, for yeah. example. Uh, and then, but that all that being said, mm. yes, it's it's not good to pollute the environment. Yes, it's probably bad when you see smokestacks and people chucking shit and plastic into the ocean and all that. I totally yeah, yeah. understand. Totally understand why that is a, mm. ba- is a bad thing, and we don't want that. Mm. Uh, but I, I think we just need to have a bit more. Uh, I don't think it's something that should be requiring us to make radical changes right now. Um, mm. When one, the predictions of something bad happening are very varied and mm. uncertain, and two, I'm I still haven't seen like how exactly like the climate change is is going to kill us all in the next 20 yeah. years like i just don't get that yeah i look so for you would that be so would it be an existential risk for you do you think no no okay no I, like i would say that it'd be one of those things where it's like yes what we're doing could cause another risk which would be mm-hmm. flooding um yeah okay. but I, I would put something like you know a super volcano or a like massive earthquake higher than higher, yeah way, yeah, way okay. higher than that sort of stuff see i think for me from a climate change perspective i i do subscribe with the idea of what's happening and you know us causing global warming and the heating up of the earth one of the things that i've sort of read about it as well though is that it's actually quite it's actually quite simple for us to if we are really preoccupied about the heat that we are creating we can do things that are not addressing the root issue but you can actually just um, slow down the heating of the earth. And one of the examples was given uh, by a guy from NASA. He just said, all you would have to do is send uh, you know, a couple of things out to outer space, put out a huge tarp, um, which you can do, like it's completely feasible to do about the size of um, like, a, like a US state, yeah. which can be like tethered out there. Um, and you just block out whatever percentage of the solar uh, energy coming through. Yeah. And that would already lower the heat of the of the earth so you sort of mentioned that that's the thing you can do right now 
not a problem. If we had to do it next year, we could. Yeah. Um, but obviously that doesn't address the direct issue of the fact that we are, you know, polluting and doing other things to the world. Yeah. So from an existential risk, um, I don't think it would be because we can do things about it right yeah, now. That, like we yeah, don't, we don't have to, to we that. don't might not address the root, but we can do, stop it quite, quite um, uh, efficiently if we were deciding to do it. Yeah. What I do think though, it, it is a risk is that, you know, the, the mentality of, and you're seeing it now. I don't know if you've seen it, but a lot of um, big companies are now doing huge changes from an environment, environmental perspective. So Microsoft, I think they have like, made a comment that by 2030, I believe it is, they are going to reduce themselves down to zero, but not just zero. They're going to also retrospectively take care of all the carbon emissions they've done since they began operating. Yeah. So there's things like that where... And so how they do that, like is that them in investing in like carbon offset things so they'll plant more trees or something? Potentially. That, I didn't actually read yeah. into details, but like lots of companies are going into that path. Uh, some of the biggest, obviously... Um, carbon emitting or you know that impact in terms of climate change are the food industry and clothing industry yeah now those are also sort of operating and changing and, and doing that and i think that's something that will happen but particularly to our point it's an existential risk i don't think so either because we can do things about it now if we really wanted to and as you say you know the world over many many hundreds and thousands of years has gone through a lot of changes whether it's uh you know, the magnetic poles changing, whether it is um, ice ages, whether there's a ton of things, whether it's solar uh, flares, yeah, uh, yeah. whether there's a lot of that stuff where it's changed the the earth in itself. Are we affecting it? Yes. Should we be stopping it? Definitely. There's something that people are going to, everyone's going to perish. Like mm. in the next 50 years, like let's say 2050. I don't think so. We, could, we can do things about it. Yeah. But I would put it higher than artificial intelligence and uh, a new... Uh, I'd still put a nuclear war higher okay. as, a, as a risk. <laughs> like that, that a while, like, ah. a but you know, one, one thing uh, that also doesn't really get talked about it. And mm. this is just me riffing a bit is uh, riffing a bit. The, the good things that is occurring from it, which you don't Ooh, hear okay. as well. I have not heard this. So because there's so much more carbon in the atmosphere, there's mm. actually a lot more forest. Like the earth is greener than it ever has been before. Because mm. there's so much more carbon, so the plants which survive off carbon, there's like extra food source for them. So there's these huge areas which are becoming green, which were never green before, mm. just because there's more carbon in the atmosphere for them to to suck up. Yeah, okay. Um, and uh, I, I I don't know this one for sure, but I'm mm. imagining like warmer climates will release some areas that were unpreviously like too cold mm. to be able to start farming there and, and doing other things there. So, like, one of the things yeah. I think is just not talked about is it can also be a good thing that it's heating up. Yeah, yeah. and I think, yeah, you know, when people say climate change and you straight away think of all the the bad things that have happened, okay, fantastic, I understand that, that's things. But, yeah, you're right, there is there is other sides of the story around, okay, well, if it's warmer up in the northern areas, then it means you can farm or you can do X amount of things or so there is more trees. Yeah. So. I, th I think the thing with it is it, it gets caught up with environmentalism as a as a whole, mm. and I think those two should maybe be like separated a bit. Yep. So maybe mm. like the risk of uh, you know destroying the planet and everyone dying should be separated from you know we're polluting the oceans and this is going to make you know certain types of animals die. We're risking extinction of those and and things mm. like that. 
which are you know That's not existential. Yeah, yeah they're, they're sort of, I think those two things can be separated, but Agreed. at the moment they're they're all put in this one thing. So yep. when you say you're against climate change, what you're really against is you know the whales dying because they're and the turtles yep. eating plastic and stuff. Mm. Whereas yeah, this we're, is and we're talking we're existential talking about, risk. We're talking about human extinction. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, I got a couple others, but I want to hear a couple more from you. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to take a little different path here. Yeah. Um, and just say like when we're talking about this how much weight should be given to the time and like the intensity of the death uh and i think there would i to be honest i think from an existential risk for me the more certain it is to happen the more i would be like okay to be worried about not so much because okay we'll talk i'll just mention one that will a hundred percent happen yeah i was gonna but it won't matter to us so i wish i could remember don't know if it's the Andromeda galaxy or another galaxy, but it is known that in 210,000 years, something like that, yeah. right, it will clash with the Milky Way galaxy yeah. and one of three things will happen. Either one, the black holes will collide and eat everything that there is yeah. and we all die. Whatever's here dies. Two, we get flung far and wide into like just outer space and it just goes into darkness and we die because we have no sun. Yeah. Or three... Um, you will get just consumed by all the stars exploding and you will also explode. Yeah. So there's things like that I can go, that is a 100% existential risk. Like that's going to happen. Yeah. No matter what, like no matter what we do, unless we move out of the Milky Way. Yeah. 210,000 years from now, we're dying. Yeah. And if that doesn't happen, so the one I was mm. uh, researching was the sun becoming a red giant. Mm-hmm. So even if all that doesn't what, happen. I can't remember what time that is. I think that was like more on the billions of years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that's where it'll get to the point where, the, like, the sun will literally, the edge of the sun will literally reach where the Earth is. Yeah. Or about that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah, two things which are absolutely certain going to happen, no one talks about because mm. they're so far away, it's like we can't do anything about it now. Like, there's no point worrying about something 210,000 years away yeah. when we have other risks now, the nuclear one, which, you know, could kill us within the next you know whatever i think to me existential risk where it has so i would have to first of all be i would rank it where the risk is a hundred percent like it is going to happen and then on proximity because there's things like like the adrenaline galaxy thing that's going to happen um but i think there was there's a 90 something it was like 97 percent chance that we will be hit by an asteroid before then that's big that'll cause um cataclysmic you know issues across the earth like we get hit i think it's I don't kind of remember. It's like eight per year already. Yeah. But like small, yeah. small pieces, right? Yeah. Um, but there was one in the tundra of Russia yeah. that hit. Tw- uh, oh, oh, this was like in 19... Yeah, eight, uh, 70s, 80s. 18 something. something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, like it was a fairly humongous explosion that had a massive crater. And yeah. that was like a fairly sizable one. It would only take a, a bit of a larger piece to come through yeah. uh, and just take out half the earth. Yeah. Like well, that, that's not a... Because we're on the topic, mm. um, yeah, I did a little bit of research on this. So uh, for me, definitely right. Very close to the top would be the, the asteroid ones. Mm. Um, before I thought, oh, you know, the smart people, they, we've talked about it before, got NASA, got all those things. Yep. Um, you know, maybe the satellite's up there, it'll just deflect off one of them and we'll be all good. <laughs> Wrong. Off the International <laughs> Space Station. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what they're up there for. <laughs> um, so... There are these things called near-Earth objects. And mm-hmm. so that, those are the ones, like asteroids, comets, yeah. um, that come 
close to the Earth. Mm-hmm. I didn't bother to look up the difference between asteroid and comet. There is a difference. I can't remember what it is. Uh, it's to do with the size, but also comets are more they frozen. Have like a trail or something? Yeah, yeah. So, they're, so comets themselves, right, the reason it's a comet and it trails what you see the trail is because the, the actual pieces come from such outer space that it's frozen. Yeah, okay. So the okay. frozenness is the trail of the coldness just going behind it as it sort of burns through the atmosphere or burns through the actual site yeah 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 uh anyway there's they think there's about approximately twenty five thousand of those um that uh encounter the earth like on a time span that we can Mm -hmm. measure and at the moment nineteen thousand of those attract and sorry they're these are ones we're talking about that are more than 140 meters and so they chose this sort of like little bit of arbitrary point because that's where the the point they were saying if one of those hit it wouldn't just be a regional thing it would be a global thing Mm -hmm. so if one of something that was more than 140 meters wide hit earth it would not just like mess up europe for Mm. example but the effects would like you were talking about Mm. like the um instantly becoming 13 degrees hot and whatnot yeah okay maybe it's not a moon-sized thing hitting the earth but Something but like it, that would but it, still But it's all the other things as well that you don't talk about, like... Um, enough that sort dust. Of, well, it would do that. It would create, like, mega volcanoes, mega earthquakes, mega tsunamis. Like, yeah. I, th- I think the main thing was it'll kick up so much dust that the atmosphere, we won't get any sunlight and we'll, mm. we'll all starve and die. Yeah. So uh, that that was interesting. Mm. So, and they're, they're actually doing a pretty good job. I think their, their goal was to reach by this year, mm. uh, 90% tracking of those. Okay. And so you imagine like, as we have more time, technology gets better, we'll be able to track closer. Um, that'll just get better and better. Yep. But the thing that concerned me was, so in 2013 in Russia, I don't know if you've seen these videos, there was a, um, like an airburst of a um, comet or asteroid mm-hmm, yeah. above Russia, and that's where you can, if if you type in Google, you can just see these crazy like dash cam videos of like, yeah, I think I've seen it. massive yeah, yeah. explosions Huge in the sky one, yeah. and light and stuff. Mm. That thing was only twenty meters by the time it it, it reached reached like um, to Earth. Yeah, I, I can't remember if it fully disintegrated or if it exploded. Mm. Like it was twenty meters wide when it entered the atmosphere. Yeah. But that still caused, um, bidding, uh, like, the sonic boom of that caused buildings to shatter their glass. I think a 1,000 people were hospitalized. Yeah, dang. Um, and that thing was, like, 20 meters wide, and mm. they're only measuring... Well, they measure ones under 140, yep. but if something's 20 meters wide that can kill a 1,000 people, what well, could something that's, you know, 40 meters wide and oh, yeah. maybe, maybe gets right in through that little hole in the ozone hole above Antarctica... Come skimming down, bounces off Australia. We're stuff. Bounces off Australia. <laughs> just, just, it's just like a ran. skipping stone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just skipping stone. Australia, Thailand, Japan, yeah. Yeah. and just like lands in Europe and just blows up. Yeah. And then, and then there's like all these aliens out in the universe being like, ooh, oh, that was good. It was, it, it, it was, it was one of those skips, seven, Europe, seven yeah. skips, seven yeah. skips. <laughs> so, but I think, you know, with all of those, I think it's, it, it's a 100% chance almost that something's going to hit us, uh, whether it's, you know, asteroid, comet, something else, another planet, another galaxy, that's going to happen at some point. The Earth, uh, the sun blowing up, yeah, going to happen. But it's just that time frame. Yeah. Where we might not see it ever in our generation or a couple of generations. And in fact, you know, by the time Elon Musk's third baby generations created everyone to be able to space travel everywhere, we yeah. might not be here anymore and whatever. But it is something that 
if we're staying on Earth, it's gonna take out humanity. Yeah, easy. Yeah, sure. Got I've got, else. I've got one more that yep. I want to talk about because I think I don't, we don't want to drain the life out of this one because there's so many. As I said, oh, there's man, literally I'm fifty. Keen. There's literally fifty that I could talk about, but a couple of the other ones that uh, you know difference uh, was uh, you know, media was said mutation. So that was one, but it'll link a little bit. I'll group it up a little bit higher. Massive earthquakes. Yeah. Um, the magnetic pole shifting, which is something that does happen on Earth. Um, yeah, and changes. when it does happen, it's... But that could be grouped among with climate change. But essentially, uh, the Earth does go through uh, pole changes and the movements as it goes through. Yeah. As it does that, um, the Earth is protected from a lot of solar pulses uh, by the magnetic poles and the way that it sort of distributes it. Yeah. When that changes and it moves, it the earth essentially gets much more of those solar poles is coming through yeah. uh, and actually hitting earth, which is like catastrophic to not just electronics, but actually to the climate and everything. So, yeah. and that's what caused, I believe the last ice age. It was yeah. the magnetic poles ch- changing and that sort of ch- um, shifting the temperatures. Yeah. So the South pole actually used to be the North pole Correct. and vice versa. It, it and it's also been a time yeah. when um, the middle of the earth was the poles as well, magnetically, not, yeah. Not logistically, yeah. not laterally. Yeah. It's actually magnetically. Uh, and black hole as well, just in terms yeah. of there are rogue black holes that are out there that can't even be seen. So yeah, at yeah, any yeah. point, you could just all of a sudden, like you wouldn't even know, gotcha, obviously. Bitch. Yeah, like oh, all of a sudden, you see like the lights go out, just like, oh man, what's going on? Who turned the lights off? But yeah. the one that I believe is probably the biggest in terms of an existential risk that is actually could be seen, and it's something that we're seeing now, yeah. but I'm going to group it a bit, is... Things like a super virus yep. or what I sort of group it up all, uh, biotechnology and genetics. So I think like we're seeing now the coronavirus in China yep. where they've quarantined 11 million people uh, in that city. Yep. And they've had cases in Australia, in the US, in Europe. Yep. We saw the SARS outbreak a couple of years ago as well. Mm-hmm. We've seen the bird flu. We've seen a couple of these things. If you take it back all the way back to the days of when there was AIDS, when there was really... Um, you know, probably in the 1800s, there was huge viruses and diseases that went through, like the Black Plague that killed so, so many people. Yeah. Um, nowadays, yeah. obviously, the numbers are not there of how many it's killing. Yeah. But I think it is almost ine- inevitable with the strain mutation and the way things are changing that there's going to come a point where a superbug is going to come through without any, you know, really easily... Um, foreseeable way to sort of cure it and spread so fast that it will just kill just a large amount of the population just in the, in the way it's going to spread. Yeah. And I think more why I think to me it's a much bigger existential risk is back in the day in like the 1800s or the 1900s, um, you know, whether it's a black plague or another issue, you would, everyone in the, in the city or the township would die. Like just like pretty much everybody would die, yeah. but it would be localized. Yeah. Travel wasn't a, a varying thing. Yeah. Now we're seeing with the Corona, um, virus right um it's already gone to australia it's already gone to uk or whatever because everyone's traveling everyone's moving it's a much more global uh, world we live in yeah and it'll just take something similar to that sort of diseases that have come through in the past to spread and become global really quickly and all of a sudden we're just everyone's faced with just this huge amount of deaths and, and things that you could imagine so i think for me that's probably the biggest existential risk that I see. Yeah. Um, and there's things within there as well that um, other people have called out, like nanobots, having nanobots that do um, health, you know, from a health perspective, getting nanobots to take care of your body and people have called it and, oh, well, they could all of a sudden take over and kill everybody or something. Yeah. That's probably less so, but yeah. it's more the virus side of things that I'm like, yeah, that's probably be the highest 
from me. Yeah, so. and th- those are the real scary ones because mm. those are the ones like there's you just can't see it. Like mm. that's it's. I, I can only imagine what it would have been like, you know, before germ theory was invented, and, yeah. and there's people just literally dropping, and you have just no idea what's going on. You can't see these things. You, yep, it's inside of you, so there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, scary stuff. And I, I, I definitely uh, agree with you. I think that would be right at the top. Mm. I think another one of the things that contributes to that is um, uh, I've listened to a couple of podcasts now of people talking about the antibiotics and, and how those sort of work. Yep. And basically you need a bunch load of money, mm. some bunches of money to actually make one of those. Yep. And we've already picked like the low-hanging fruit of penicillin and some of the other antibiotics. Mm. And so now to come up with a new form of protection, I guess, so like um, because the the viruses and stuff get used to it and that's why they say, to, you know, take the whole antibiotic course. Mm. Uh, whoops, I didn't do that when I last did it. Yep, neither did I, neither did I. Take the whole course to fully eliminate the bug because what happens if you kill it 90% that 10% grows accustomed to the antibiotics mm. and you pass it on to someone else and then you've created this new strain which is resistant to that antibiotic. Correct. Uh, and the problem now is we, because it costs so much money mm. to create new antibiotics, uh, we, we're just not doing it. And they'll get a point where we'll run out and then you know something mutates, mm. say the chickenpox or, or like a historically... Um, a disease we've been able to cure Mm. and it mutates enough so that it escapes through our current batches and then we've just got like this super bug that just absolutely ravages us and has been proven to to kill like humongous swathes of humanity. There was a piece I was reading as well as an article that talked about that, you know, rightly with mutation that, you know, the mutation of, of humans and the way that we're evolving in that is like infinitely slower as compared to comparison to the mutation half life that you know germs, viruses, diseases can sort of take hold. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of explaining even at the fastest rate that even us as humans can mutate to you know become stronger to them, even assisted with you know antibiotics and that uh, viruses and that will mutate at such a pace that we will just not be able to keep up with it. So even if a strand of something else comes out that all of a sudden is stronger it might take humanity a year to come up with something to support it. And by that time, this thing's mutated 10 times over in between, um, you know, animals, humans and that to already be at a, at a stage that you can't even tackle anymore. Yeah. So yeah. It, like, that, that to me is a severely scary thing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the interesting thing with some of this stuff is like, I can see how one thing we'd think of as a risk could also be the, the cure for another one. So for example, mm. what you're talking just about then, what if we get to a world where virtual reality is so good that it's indistinguishable from now? And so we just say, okay, we've got our AI. They can handle like the electricity because all we need is really electricity and, and some food and nutrients and stuff. Mm. They go out into the real world yeah. and do all the stuff and we stay in our, you know, individually in our sort of like cloistered homes. Mm. But I interact with you. It's just as real as we're doing now. Yeah. yeah, subjectively, but obviously we're just doing it via electrons and and whatnot through our computers. Yeah, that eliminates the risk of us getting viruses because I'm ne- never actually meeting someone face to face. So yeah. things like that. Obviously, that's a a long way. Very off. very utopian view. Uh, yeah, yeah. But um, I could just see how things that uh 
potential risks mm. could also be the solving for, for other stuff as well. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, when you were saying right at the start, it actually got me thinking um, there's risk now that we wouldn't have thought of 100 years ago. Like no mm. one would have thought, like you were mentioning with the trains, no one would have thought the nuclear holocaust would be a risk yeah. before we started dropping bombs. True. So, mm. you know, 30, 50 years time, we're probably going to come up with some new technology and stuff that will make us be talking about completely different things now, things we never thought oh, that would... Yeah, uh, I reckon, like, perhaps, like you was just saying with that utopian view, right? Imagine in 50 years, augmented reality or virtual reality gets to the point where you're almost, like, connecting your, your being into a machine and that you go into the virtual reality world and maybe an existential risk then will be that you know, uh, it backfires and it fries everyone's brains because everyone's in the virtual reality. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, who knows that? But it, it's 100% true that I think, as we're saying, what what we're talking about existential risk is is the now. It's what we see now, what we're seeing in the news, what's happening currently in the media, what's happening in the world, uh, global politics, the current knowledge that we have. But 50 years from now, we might end up understanding that you know, there's a, a new breed of animal that's killing everything or yeah. Yeah. or actually asteroids now are getting really close. We really need to be paying attention yeah. to that. Or we, we haven't talked about this, but aliens. What if there's actually aliens out there and they're not friendly? Yeah, yeah. what if we get visited 10 years from now, they look at Karen and they go, look at this bald-headed dude. We're, we're taking him in. No, he yeah, he yeah. might be running 50 uh, k an hour, but we're going to get a catch <laughs> him They'd take me and then they'd be like, oh, everyone with hair. Now that's a bit weird. Yeah, yeah, like that's, that's the top <laughs> specimen of the human race. Look at this dude. No hair, doesn't even know how to run sub four minutes kil- per kilometre five five k's. So uh, anyway, so that, those are some couple of ones that I, I sort of noted down. Um, I don't know if there's any others that you want to talk about from an existential risk perspective. Not particularly, but I did want to just highlight one thing, which is you can ha- get some real dodgy playing with the numbers. And when we're talking about this sort of mm. stuff and talking with people, like I think one, you need to be able to take that step back. And like you're saying, mm. not use your amygdala, not use that emotional response to yep. hearing something and going... Greta Thunberg is saying, how dare you do this, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think you need to, to take a bit of a step back and, and really think about these things because yep. I, me personally, I'd say like the amount of attention we've been putting on climate change is taking away from some other serious issues we're having. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just to highlight this, uh, there was an informal survey of experts at a conference in 2008 of global catastrophic risk. Yep. Uh, and they they each had to like choose well, what percentage chances do they think is going to happen on this stuff. Mm. And they, as a group, they said there was a 19% chance that would all be wiped out by 2100. Okay. And the like the top highlights for them were just like these ludicrous things where it was um, it wasn't like the Holocaust or pandemics or anything like that. It, mm. it was. Um, it was just, I can't remember exactly what, it was like nanobots or something. Yeah, okay. So something like it was just random people saying these things. Mm. This is just an informal survey and, and it was like not not important. But I think one of the things is if you hear something like that and then you think there's a 20% chance we're all going to be dying. Like experts think this, they were at this conference, like there's experts saying this. So I think you just got to be really careful about some of the, the places that you're hearing. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, there's a problem that is definitely coming up nowadays with so much information is 
how do we sort out what is useful and what's not? Yeah. And there used to be the saying, like, the, the reason we're ignorant and uneducated is because of, you know, lack of availability to all these resources. Mm. That's not really the thing. Like, there's, we're not stupid because we don't have enough information. Now we're stupid because we have too much, too much information and we don't know how to what to do with that. Yeah. To solve this, go to the judging advice episode of Mere Mortals. Yeah. You're done. Finished. That, that's all. That's all yeah. you need. Uh, we've personally saved yeah. the existential <laughs> risk of, uh, of everything of humanity we've being re- uneducated. Yeah, we've just saved humanity. Thank you. <laughs> you, you can thank you're uh, right, like right. that's alright. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I agree with that. I think it's um, overload of information, overload of data, especially through a, a news medium, and when they're putting, in particular, people who are talking about you know particular things, um, you know, scaling up what is an issue or the numbers that it partakes to um in comparison to other things then that's when it gets a little bit you know misaligned where what actually is the risk that people should be focusing on and paying attention to as opposed to yeah perhaps something that is either not going to be happening soon or is actually not causing a you know a global risk to humanity but that's only on the global risks existential risk of complete human annihilation that we're talking about not not upon anything else because if you're talking about the risk of uh, uh, you know, the earth being two degrees hotter. Okay, well, then you should focus on climate change as opposed to nanobots. Totally fine. That's understandable. Yeah. But understand the context that you're talking about and understand the numbers, the facts, and don't just be led specifically by what a particular media channel is trying to get to you or a particular number that's trying to yeah. sound... Or like one stat. Yeah. There's, there's one like, oh, you know, 19, 20% chance we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. That's that's not good enough. You need need a bit more nuance than that. Yeah, yeah. And even like even saying that, like, does anybody really know that? Is that even if you had a, even if you told me that you had a uh, a machine, a machine learning computer that was unbelievably uh, fast processing billions of different uh, ways that the world could go and end and, and everything in between. Yeah. Um. What's not to say that it doesn't even pick up an opportunity that just none of us know about, right? What if all of a sudden, like, we know, you know, if you believe in this of the um, the big bang of the universe. What if just one point, you know, hundred years from now, all of a sudden, uh, it retracts. It does the, what they call the big crunch. It starts coming back in. And then like, whether we like it or not, it's not just us. It's the whole universe. What, what is that going to do? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can't even predict that. Yeah. You know, unless you can measure particular things. But from what I've seen, you know, it's essentially anybody's best guess as to what's even keeping it going is a black matter, uh, dark matter. Is it matter? Matter. Matter. <laughs> dark matter. Um, is it still expanding? You know, it's it's a toss up in the air with yeah. a lot of information. So, yeah, yeah. very good. Okay, existential risk. I um, this. That was fun. If individuals want to give us some comments uh, around this, if you want to sort of share back a bit of information, do you think we miss an existential risk? Do you think current in need doesn't believe in climate change? Anything in between? <laughs> let us know yeah. in the comments on YouTube good. on anything. You can't even do it on oh, yeah, any of the podcast channels. Anywhere in between. Twitter as well now, obviously. Yeah, so you maybe can see that. LinkedIn one day. Maybe LinkedIn one day if we can figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we get into the fitness challenge, though, one piece I was going to mention as well is uh, Mere Mortals Monday Movement. So I'm going to keep on doing that. Yeah, uh, nice. I'm so still cool. traveling for the next couple of weeks. Give it a go. See how it works. Essentially, it's just going to be a, a short one-minute piece of uh, information to say what's on my mind. Uh, feel free, Karen, to also get involved in if you ever want to do it yeah. across any other platforms. But you are releasing a couple more uh, book reviews as well, which yeah, yeah, I think we'll be releasing the one you did recently shortly. Yeah. 
So that'll be out soon as well. So get prepared for a Spanish one. Ooh. Got two Spanish books that I'm reviewing and yeah. got to be in Spanish. Got to be in Spanish. So if so you if you do listen to us and it's uh, Spanish is in your ear, Spanish. get into it. So, yeah. but all right, let's get into the fitness challenge now. Um, we've been stuck at these numbers for a while. Yeah. I'm <laughs> shameful to say that I have not moved a single bit. Yeah, same here. Um, same here. But obviously, like for me, I was away in Sydney and Parramatta for the whole week. There wasn't. The only one that I really could have done was the, the running. And I'm going to really think, I'm going to have to really think hard if I'm going to try to keep the heavy squatting one in there, just purely because I'm uh, still my knees sort of recovering. Do I yeah. want to keep it in there or am I not? I'll sort of play that around. I might think about changing it to a 5K sort of timing because recently did that five kilometers and I felt, felt good. Obviously, yeah. it wasn't as fast as I could have done it, but I'm excited to do a bit more running now as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Still 19. The weeks are now catching us now, yeah, I is. believe. So, yeah, it is. You know, by, by calculation, it's probably like, <laughs> you know, we're up to the 16th week or something, 15th week. Um, so, I don't think it's that far. I think it'd be a 13, 14. I guess okay. like 14. But yeah, it's starting to catch us. So we need, we need to we need to step up the game. Yeah. Um, just quickly before we do finish it with, though, are you finding the fit? I know we talked about this, but specifically, if you didn't have the fitness challenge, do you think you'd be worse off or better off where you are right now? I think worse off. It's, it's okay. definitely given me some motivation to, to make changes in my own routine, which mm-hmm. I probably would have been hesitant to do before. Yep. And it did give me a kick right when we like first announced it and mm-hmm. we were starting it. It gave me that kick to like, all right, I really want to do this. This will be cool. This will be fun. Yep. So I think, and it's made me focus a bit more on general health as well mm-hmm. because my goals before then I didn't really have, I'd maybe have like one thing. Like I once said, I'm going to do a press to stand, but I didn't really have, these are the specific fitness things that I want to get down. So Mm -hmm. getting those written down and trying to achieve them, I think has put me in a lot better position than I would have been previously. Nice. Nice. Um, two things that I want to call out as well before we finish it off and wrapping it up one. Thank you very much to all the individuals following us on the Instagram. Yeah. We hit 100. We went over 100. I was going to do a post about it, but I was like, oh, it's too low. You know, 100 <laughs> just on the way there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, 100 individuals. Thank you very much. I think that yeah, that's cool. it's by the time cool. we get to 1,000, and we're going to get to 1,000 one day, I reckon we should have finished this fitness challenge. Um, if we haven't, though, I think it's a punishment for us. I mean, I reckon we have to do like 1,000 push-ups. Yeah, if, we do not, if we do not get, no, actually, if we do not get to 50 f- points on the fitness challenge, by the time we get 1,000 followers on Instagram, we have to video ourselves doing 1,000 push-ups. Okay. I think that's, that's going to have to be the thing. So yeah. noting it down, episode 19, that's what's going to happen. Nice. Um, I think that's all from me. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, episode 20, not even sure what's going to come up, but we've got a plenty of lists, plenty of information. Yeah, plenty of ideas. Lots of stuff to come. That's all from me. Cool. One out. Kyron out.